Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. And this will be episode 26. But first, previously on the Avenging Hour, I don't know why I keep making these long pauses. Previously on the Avenging Hour, Black Panther joined the team after Grim Reaper killed everyone. Don't worry, they weren't actually dead. Then we were overjoyed to finally get some resolution to that Magneto and Toad storyline from, like, a year ago. Now, episode 26. We were overjoyed because now it means we never have to talk about them again. We can move on. So, Avengers number 54 is from July of 1968. It is another Roy Thomas John Buscema issue, and it is called And Deliver Us From The Masters of Evil. The title, of course, is a play on a line from the Lord's Prayer where you say, And Deliver Us From Evil. But see, he added the Masters of, so it's not just Deliver Us From Evil, it's Deliver Us From The Masters I, of Evil. I don't get it. Did you see what he did? I, see, normally can you explain it, says, it again? Normally it's it. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> The Avengers are testing out the new traps with which they've outfitted their headquarters in their ongoing mission to make the place an impenetrable fortress. I'm sure no one will ever be able to break in again. Besides making sure the active membership of Goliath, the Wasp, Hawkeye, and the Black Panther know about the new security upgrades, they also are sure to clue in their butler Jarvis, so he doesn't end up caught in robot arms while polishing the silver. However, no sooner does the jowly Jarvis lead the company of his avenging employees then he is making a sinister phone call, promising the security information to an unknown party. Jarvis then leaves the mansion, thinking sad and despondent thoughts, while making his way to an underground lair. The lair of the new Masters of Evil. Claw, Whirlwind, the Black Knight, the Melter, the Radioactive Man, and a mysterious being who calls himself the Crimson Cowl. Jarvis demands a payment for his information, while Claw treats us all to a flashback explaining how all of his woes are due to the Black Panther. The radioactive man, excited by the possibility of sharing backstory, jumps in. He explains how Thor is no bueno, and how the Avengers defeated him when he worked in the original Masters of Evil with Zemo. Before we can be treated to more flashbacks, the cowl brings things back to the present. Jarvis again demands his money for supplying the Avengers' security plans, but the cowl doesn't think so. He gasses the betraying butler into unconsciousness and sends the rest of the masters out to begin their prearranged plan. However, one of the masters just doesn't have his heart in the evil part of the group's mission statement. Our friend the Black Knight, as we know, is not actually evil. It seems that Dane Whitman inherited his evil uncle's evil post office box, and the cowl had <laughs> mailed the deceased villain an invitation to join the new Masters of Evil. Was it an evil invitation? I think it was. <laughs> Dane Whitman accepted the evil invitation, claiming to be his uncle, and used his membership to learn the Master's plan. Now he heads to Avengers Mansion to warn them of the impending attack. Unfortunately for our new Black Knight, the cowl isn't as stupid as his name suggests for he suspected that the conniving Knigget might be planning to betray him. He set the other four members of the team to watch Dane, and when Dane gets near Avengers Mansion, he's ambushed by his teammates. While the Black Knight is getting beaten, he yells for Aragorn, his winged steed, to take off, knowing the Avengers are likely to notice a flying horse race past. He's right, as Hawkeye does notice it, but before the battling bowman can react, the Melter melts a hole in the wall and attacks him. The Melter manages to best Hawkeye, and the battle is on. Next, Whirlwind catches the Black Panther just as the Panther was leaving the mansion. Whirlwind also manages to down his prey just as Claw finds the Wasp and knocks her out. The remaining Avenger, Goliath, is working in his lab with his assistant Bill Foster when the radioactive man attacks them. The communist criminal quickly takes Foster out of the fight and after a longer skirmish also downs the giant genius. The Masters gather all of the Avengers together and call the Crimson Cowl to report their success. While talking to the Cowl, they noticed a second Cowl creeping up behind the first. The first is revealed to be a robot, and then the second reveals himself to be Jarvis. 
Dun dun dun. To be continued. Our roll call this this issue are our solid team of four, never to be changed. There's Black Panther, Hawkeye, the Wasp, and Goliath. Our villains are the new Masters of Evil, which is Jarvis, Claw, Whirlwind, the Radioactive Man, the Melter, and the Crimson Cowl. And our supporting cast, we see uh, in a flashback, we see Iron Man, we see a little bit of Bill Foster, and we see the Black Knight. So, this is the first time we see the Claw in the Avengers. Yeah. Now, we mentioned Claw a little bit during the Black Panther's recap. Ulysses Claw first appeared in FF number, that's Fantastic Four, number 53. That's not a face In August of 1966, <laughs> Ulysses Claw was a regular human with an oddly dated fashion sense who wanted the vibranium that was in Wakanda. He used a, he had invented a sonic weapon that he used. While he's trying to get the vibranium, he kills T'Chaka, T'Challa's father and T'Challa in in response manages to destroy to, to basically cut off his hand his right hand he replaced that right hand with the sonic weapon the sonic weapon is kind of this uh looks kind of like a mini satellite dish yeah like a like a megaphone yes and I, I mean it makes sense that you would stick that on your stump of a hand well, yeah I mean, it doesn't so and he used that to fight the Fantastic Four and the Black Panther again during his last fight with them it was not going well and he jumped into a sound converter and converted his body into solid sound. So Claw is no longer human. He is a living, um, a living sound creature. He's a living Whatever. musical note. I don't know. What's nice about this Masters of Evil, what I think is really cool about it is, this is the original Masters of Evil. The Crimson Cow went to the trouble of getting the Melter, because nobody else wants him. The Radioactive Man, who he had to smuggle back into the country, apparently. And a Black Knight, at and, least. And who he thought was the Black Knight. And then he threw in... Whirlwind, which makes sense because he fought the Avengers recently, and I guess he needed a Black Panther enemy, so he grabbed Claw. Right, that's convenient. But it's 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 not a bad it's not a bad team. He also the Crimson Cowl, especially if you count the Crimson Cowl himself, though. I mean, it's just the butler, so I don't know how much help he could be in a fight. I don't know, all of a sudden there were two Crimson Cows. That makes we'll sense. We'll get to that, but... <laughs> um, he also is outnumbering the Avengers, doing something that would be done to a greater extent and to a more effective uh, result... With the in later the 80s, Masters of Evil. Yeah. Where, you know, they're like, you know, because most times villain teams and superhero teams are pretty much even numbers. Sure. And Claws, you know, it's, I mean, theoretically, it's six to four. And eventually they and go, actually become the what boss. if we had 30 of us? <laughs> we are given hints at the beginning of this issue that the reason Jarvis is betraying the Avengers is because he needs money for some some special reason. Was it something for this mom? Some I surgery or something? Think is that they, revealed here? That, not in this issue. That issue. We'll, we'll find out more about why he needs, why he's doing this for the money. He, but we also find out in this issue he feels like the Avengers don't appreciate him, don't even know who he is, don't pay attention to him. Isn't his job to be a butler? Yes, not to be. And it's, it's interesting because at the time Jarvis has, this is the first character development we will see for Jarvis. Before this, Jarvis has no personality. He's barely in the comics. Because he's a butler. Because he's a butler. <laughs> now, eventually, Jarvis will become... He's not Richie Rich's Cadbury the butler. I mean, he's not like... What if Cadbury was the Avengers <laughs> butler? That would be great. And Jarvis goes to work for Richie Rich, and Richie's like, why are you always whining about me not paying attention to you? I, I really think that Jarvis eventually becomes an interesting character, and I think in some ways some of the, one of the most beloved of the Avengers characters... There are, I can think of two issues off the top of my head where he pretty much is the main character in the issue. Actually, that's maybe three issues where he's pretty much the main character in the issue. Well, we go to that storyline in the 80s we were just talking about Under Siege. He's a big part of that. So, it's interesting that this this is our... But this, considering what he grows into, for this to be our first real experience
experience with Jarvis is pretty remarkable. Yeah, you could tell they didn't really have any foresight of, of this character. They didn't really think, oh, he could become somebody important. They're like, yep, let's do something with him and then get rid of him. I want to go back to the very first page. Look, they're trying out new security measures on the black guy. <laughs> Anytime you start a book out with, hey, look at this new gadget. Really? Foreshadowing? You know that's going to come into play at some point. It's true. Uh, the next page, or actually on that page too, Jan has some really weird clothes. That is a really strange dress, and then she puts a hat and a coat on over top of the dress, and you're like, what? The dress itself I can live with, but the hat and the coat what? with the dress, is it's just too much, because it's pink, and she's now wearing pink and green. Yeah. And I don't it's really... like a Robin Hood type hat? Yeah, I'm not sure what she's doing. The pink looks like a trash bag. She punched holes in the side for arms, and I don't know what... She will get she'll get better at this eventually. Uh, there's another panel on that on that same page. We've got another panel where there's a finger in someone's face. This time it looks like Goliath is trying to pick Jarvis's nose <laughs> or clean something off his chin, like he's an infant in a high chair. That's a really big, big finger, though. There's another weird panel along the same lines where we see Claw uh, when they start fighting. This time it's Claw's hand in uh, Wasp's face. Looks ridiculous. I, I find it interesting that we talked a little bit about. The Masters of Evil matching up with the heroes, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's Claw for Black Panther, uh, I mean, at, at the time, the original Melter was for Iron Man, Radioactive Man was there for Thor, they had kind of a guy that went with a guy. Black Knight's there for Goliath. Yeah, and I it's, mean, it's weird, yeah, that group, the original Masters of Evil combined couldn't take out one person, and now we've got these guys one-on-one taking out members of the team, I, that was a little hard to believe. This is a, even if you take... Dane Whitman out of this with just the four Masters of Evil with the Melter, Whirlwind, Claw, and the Radioactive Man. This is a more powerful team than Baron Zemo put together. Perhaps. I mean, Claw, Claw and Radioactive Man are powerful enough between the two of them. Yeah, but they radio- really don't need the others. But Radioactive Man doesn't... He carries a gun around with him in this episode. In this episode. This issue. It doesn't make any... Why doesn't he use his radioactive powers? Yeah, I... I, 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 <laughs> I, I think the problem with Radioactive <laughs> Man is that they were they recognized that his power was horribly damaging. <laughs> right? He's going to say what now they have cancer. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you are attacked by Radioactive Man, you are in deep, deep... You know, so it's kind of like, well, now what do we do? It's, it's the same problem I think they'll eventually have with... Dane Whitman down the road where they're like we have this character and we gave him a sword and the only thing you can do with that is to stab people well I mean and, and as a corollary like Black Bolt like Woody Black Bolt's this great character but he can't ever talk because he will destroy everybody well, I just, but I, I think some of these characters have powers which are relatively lethal, and Marvel's like, this is a great power. Oh, wait a minute, how do we do this without killing people? Use that. I mean, this happens in the X-Men for a long time with Wolverine, where he's not allowed to use his claws, so he's like, you know, I'm like, but that's your power, is your claws. I mean, if you're not going to use them, what's the point? Anyway, I think that's where it comes from. I, I'm a little surprised, I maybe, I, I was, I went back and forth on this a couple of times, because the whole idea is that everybody thinks that Dane Whitman is the original Black Knight. Right. You would think... I can understand why Crimson Cowl wouldn't know any better. But Radioactive Man and, and the Melter did work with the original Black Knight. Correct. Shouldn't they notice this isn't the same guy? Now, the original Black Knight did wear a full face helmet. Yeah. Maybe they never actually saw his face, but they would have heard him speak. You would think... I mean, even if the helmet... And mannerisms... And maybe they would have yeah. said, Hey, remember that time we fought so-and-so? And he'd be like, um... Sure, yeah, I remember that time. 
Yeah, it just doesn't. Where was that great shawarma place we used to go to? <laughs> you would think that there would be that they would notice that this isn't. I don't know. I thought that was a little odd. I love the fact. I I, I, I would have to assume that all supervillains have post office boxes at evil evil post office. That was great. And that the Crimson Cow can just mail out invites and postcards. Wish you were conquering the world with me. That is actually an awesome thing. Crimson Cow signed Crimson Cow. Who's Crimson Cow? <laughs> But by the same by the same token, and it sounds so ludicrous, and it is ludicrous. But by the same token, how would he get in touch with supervillains? Is there a trade magazine? I mean, how would you do? You put personal ads in the paper. And on the flip side of that, if you were a supervillain and someone sent you a note in the mail that said, "Hey, come meet me at such and such place. We're going to do some cool stuff," would you go? Oh, that's a setup. <laughs> the police are looking for me. Especially if it's someone you've never heard before. Uh, right, well, Crimson Cow. Who's that? Well, actually, it's two different people. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there, there, there's... I, I want to I want to read the story of how criminals communicate at this point in time, but I, I'm not so sure it's by post office box. So, the team is led to believe that the Crimson Cow has called them all together, and then this Jarvis guy shows up, and he's, oh, I'm Jarvis, I need some help, and the Crimson Cow shoots him, and they're like, Jarvis, whatever. <laughs> and then they reveal, it's confusing to me because I know, obviously, what happens. They reveal this robot. Now, were they supposed to believe that Jarvis had created this robot to trick them into following him? So we're going to go all the way to the end. And, and then he about... would be himself. Ha ha I am actually the criminal mastermind. We'll go all the way and talk about the end, but I do want to backtrack. Okay. But let's go to the end. Okay, let's yeah, let's yeah. do this, because you're right. So the end of it, we, have, we, we haven't known who the Crimson Cow was for the entire episode. Episode. I just did it too. For the entire <laughs> issue. And we get to the very end of the issue, and the, the Masters of Evil, to, to make it clear, the Masters of Evil are talking to the Crimson Cow on a view screen. Right. Because Avengers Mansion has a huge view screen like they're on the Enterprise. And I'm assuming they can see what we see. So they see a a single crimson cow pointing at them and telling them blah 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 and then the next panel we see a hand come in that's the same color as the crimson cow and it pulls the hood off and then the next panel reveals that the crimson cow that was talking to them was a robot and the cow was pulled off by a second crimson cow basically the panel is just a whole pile of like scarlet colored draperies I don't know <laughs> thank god with a robot witch. head in the middle of it if the scarlet witch was here the crimson cow would have been defeated <laughs> like that <laughs> I, and then, ha ha ha! The second Crimson Cow was actually Jarvis. So here's my thought. Wait a minute. I, I think what they what they realized was that no one was going to believe Jarvis was a Crimson Cow because we saw them together at the same time. Right. So there had to be another Crimson Cow. And I guess the thought was if if they made the fact that there was a Crimson Cow robot then that Jarvis go, was oh, controlling, it would ex- to trick us. Well, yeah. Why would he want to do that to his own team members? That makes no sense. Why couldn't he have just been Jarvis the whole time? Why? Well, and I, I really think, and I think if you look at that page, that's not Jarvis, that's Dr. Druid. It's the same haircut. It really is. <laughs> um, sorry, that's a joke that people will get in, in, in 10 years when we get to the 80s. Um, the, it, it, it is a very, it's, it's a shame because I appreciate what they were going for with the reveal. It's a great reveal, especially if you were reading, I mean, obviously you and I know. And everyone else will find out very shortly if they don't already know. Yeah, the I don't Jarvis. want to give away spoilers, but this isn't really how this ends. This is not, you know, Jarvis is not the Crimson Cow. So to us, it's just like, well, this is a silly bit of, of, of foolishness. But if you were reading this in 1968 and you had no idea, you'd have been like, it's a startling reveal. Yes. But it's also confusing. Sure. But I think you would have been, you would have gone more with the startle and less with the confusing. I guess they had to do it for the comic reader to believe. Yes. It's not so much for the Masters of Evil to believe that this was someone else leading them. I think, though, at the same time, readers in 1968, I'm going, Jarvis, that guy that got Captain America a sandwich that one time? Oh, I I still, I... 
I think it would have even been better, more funny actually, if Jarvis would have left Avengers Mansion, walked right over to that thing, put on the Crimson Cowl outfit, and then walked into the room with the Masters of Evil and said, "Ha ha, I'm here." <laughs> so the Crimson Cowl, I, I don't, I don't have a lot more. I just have a couple more points. Did, did you have any more notes? No, nope, I'm done. I just have a couple more notes. We find out that the Crimson Cowl does not trust Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. But we don't know why. Like, we're never given any indication of what Dane Whitman did that made the Crimson Cow mistrust him. The only thing we get is when he first meets the Crimson Cow, I think the Crimson Cow says, I thought you'd be older. So it just, it just seemed odd to me. It seems a little convenient. That, because we never once see, when the rest of the Masters of Evil, when we first see them, are all posing menacingly, Dane is posing menacingly too. Yeah, no one goes, what are you doing here? Yeah, so it just it just seemed it seemed convenient for the plot. Yeah, if they would have made even just one little mention of someone like of of him doing something and one of the other like Melter radioactive men going, well, that's weird. He wouldn't usually do something like that. The Melter does manage to get his manage to get into the man- manages to get into the mansion by melting a hole in the wall. Boom! Which should start a rant <laughs> on my part about how they didn't need the Avengers security information, but we do find out that they did use it to shut down the alarms and such. They have alarms. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and as you point out, the radioactive man, when he's fighting uh, Goliath, well, and, and Bill Foster, uses a gun where he shoots adhesive X. Right, left over from Baron Zemo. What do you, what do you mean, left over? Like, where did he, like, did Baron Zemo, like, give him a, a, a tub of it? To, to Because radioactive man wasn't around when Baron Zemo got defeated. He was wrapped up in, in, did he know where Baron Zemo kept a stockpile of it? Well, did radioactive man get captured when the last Masters of Evil were captured? I know one of them had gotten away, and I, it might have been him. Maybe he went back to their hideout or something, and it was I guess. stockpiled no, he there. No, he didn't get away. Or he got he, deported, didn't he? He got deported, because he got wrapped up in that, in, like, metal, in lead, basically. Maybe and, it's, like, a different version of Adhesive X that's made in China. It's, it's, it's not a quite, knockoff version. It's not quite as good, but it is cheaper, <laughs> to be fair. It's like toothpaste with lead in it. It'll dry hard. And I do, I am, we do see, we, we keep talking about there's a robot reveal. And I guess we'll talk more about it next issue, but yes. this is the reveal of an important robot. Very important. And so, if you saw his face, you would go, oh, I know who that is. So, bullpen bulletins. Uh, the bullpen bulletins mentions that Marvel's experimenting with giant-sized 25-cent comics, which, like the Silver Surfer and Not Brand Eck. I think Not Brand... So, the Silver Surfer was launched as a 25-cent comic. Again, most comics being 12 cents, but every issue of the Surfer was giant size. It was like every issue was like an annual. And they felt that painful when you read them. Giant size or double size? Double sized, I guess. They weren't bigger comics. They were No, no, they were thicker, regular comics thicker. with more pages. Gotcha. Not Brand X, of course, has been around for a while, but I guess at this point in time they switched it over to the larger, for- to the more page format and for a higher price point. I think what's important about this, first of all, I can say without... Is any of this important? <laughs> without a doubt, I'd like to say that none of this lasts. The Silver Surfer lasts is the bigger size until I think... For like seven or eight issues, and it's not a good comic. The I'm, not Brandeck doesn't even last that long. Silver Surfer eventually goes down to regular size, and not Brandeck just gets canceled. But what I like about it is that Marvel is experimenting. They are trying different things. I wish we had more comic companies today trying different things. Yeah. And at least they're doing that. Because my point is that it's not... When I say Marvel's experimenting, I mean, they're obviously not experimenting with content because the first of their of their 35-cent black and white magazines is Spider-Man. <laughs> right. So the content's not different, but what they're trying to do is figure out how they can package their content in ways to reach an audience. Right, to, to have different eyes on it. And I think that's what comic companies now are not doing and should be doing. Yeah, we've all fallen into the direct market trap. There's not really... I, I know for a while Marvel had sold some books at at um, Walmart. I guess they still have some versions of... They're not really comics, but they have, like, collection things at Target for younger kids. Sure. But, yeah, it doesn't... 
everything's kind of segregated but anymore. In the late 60s, Marvel was trying different things, which I think is cool. I also want to point out that the, the, the bullpen bulletins has always been three columns. And for the longest time, it was basically pretty much two full columns of type with uh, one column of the checklist. And Marvel, now that it's 1968, we talked before about how they were publishing so many more titles. The checklist is most of the page at this yeah, point in time. It's, it's almost two full columns. There's very little uh, else on this page. And finally, we have on the bullpen bulletins, we have Stan Soapbox, which says that some people think Marvel publishes too many titles, but Marvel only does that because Marvelites ask them for so many titles. Stan claims that they're really too busy to publish this many titles. They don't want to publish this many titles. We don't want to make any money. But they do it for the fans. All heart, man. Stan Soapbox, uh, full of crap. <laughs> uh, the letters section this this uh, issue is only one page because they have a special ad uh, which I'm assuming <laughs> is the ad on the next page an entire one page ad for the new Silver Surfer comic I guess it's or a, it was the ad before the letters page yeah I couldn't tell which one if it was that one before the letters page there's a two there's a, a full page ad for the um, Spectacular Spider-Man magazine you may have heard of it mm, we've talked about that and for the not brand Eck going to the 25 cent size yeah. what about letters what do you got in letters uh, I just have one from someone famous two do people you? famous yeah I guess I guess it's from both of them do you have anything other any other letters you want to talk well, about well I will talk about Lawrence Isaacson of Brooklyn who asks for a black Avenger hey uh, ask and you shall receive the response to his letter is did you read this issue is <laughs> that they did not put Black Panther into the comic because he was a Negro yeah but they did it because he was the best for the job sure even though no one's ever heard of him that is actually but they're actually making a good point that I appreciate Marvel making where they're like look we're not filling a quota okay let's be clear they're filling a quota I, I I honestly believe they did it because they had a black superhero. Really? I don't know if they've ever cared about that kind of thing. Well, let me say this. I think they did it because... Well, all right. You know what? I'm not going to try and second guess why Marvel did it. So let me say this. I like the message. The message that they're sending, whether you believe that it's sincere or not, it doesn't matter. Because the message that they're sending is... It doesn't matter. It doesn't (laughs) matter. We added him to the group. Not based on the color of his skin, but based on the fact that he was the best person for the job. And, and we talked about it last episode that we thought he was a good replacement for Captain America. He very much is. He very much is. But that's all I have. So there is a letter in there from uh, a couple named Don and Maggie Thompson, who some folks might know. Um, Maggie Thompson was born in November of 1942. She and her husband, Don, were early architects of comic book fandom in the 60s. They ran some early fanzines that were devoted more to the fans themselves than than the actual books. Uh, She and Don eventually wrote a column for Comic Buyer's Guide beginning in 1972, and she became an editor of the magazine from 1983 until it ceased publication in 2013. He was editor, too. He was an editor as well. I don't have as much information on him. I know that he died a a few years back. He was born in 1935, and he died in 1994. Died way too young. They were such an amazing team uh, for so many years and it was very sad if anybody that read CBG through any of their tenure it, it may seem silly because these are two people that have never that never wrote comics that only wrote about comics but they became just as important to some people as those people that do write comics maybe even more important to an extent because while we might love Jack Kirby's work we don't actually hear from Jack Kirby directly whereas Donna Maggie Thompson were writing directly to fans in the columns of CBG they were answering letters directly you know so it was it was a more personal interaction. So I yeah, think some people... We could be a fan of the Avengers or Spider-Man, but they were a voice for the whole 
exactly comic book world. And he died at the age of of what? He died. At, he wasn't even fifty. He wasn't even sixty. I, I see you doing math in your head. <laughs> he wasn't. Oh, even, there's smoke coming out. He wasn't even sixty. He was fifty nine years old, and that's that's just way too young. But you're right. She stayed on, and she still writes columns. She writes columns on the internet. She does all kinds of fan things. She seems like the sweetest woman in the world. I've, I've heard her on podcasts before. Uh, she is... Uh, they both won Eisner's Ink Pot and Jack Kirby Awards. Yes. So... Which you can touch with. We'll put her on our podcast. She can talk about the Avengers with us. She, she might be willing to do it. I don't know about with us, but she, I'm sure she's willing to talk about the Avengers. That's it. I got nothing. Okay. MVP? Uh, Goliath, I guess. He he put up the best fight. Oh my gosh, I picked him too. We've been a little too simpatico on our... Well, we'll we'll get to the useless one. Useless character? Wasp. Yeah. Three in a row, but this one is perfect. She was actually defeated by a door. I love the fact that she uses judo in this issue. That's wonderful, but she still goes down like that. Claw shut a door and she ran into it. Come on. That's a step above a tree branch, I guess, but maybe a step below a pen. Avengers level threat? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously they took them all out. And uh, Final Grade. I gave it a B plus. That's exactly what I gave it. I love the Masters of Evil. And, it, the, and the Jarvis thing, confusing, but it's fun. And I think this is the best issue we've seen, at least since The Sons of the Serpent. Maybe ever, but at least since The Sons of the Serpent. And if it's on this, that was 20 issues ago. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and one of the things I like about this issue, I like a lot about this issue, is that there's not a lot of pontificating. The villains are like, we're here to do a job, and while there's some speechifying, it's not as bad as it is in some other issues. It's no, keep, no keeper of the flame. Yes, right? <laughs> All right. So, we'll move on to issue 55, which is kind of the second part of this one. It, it kind of. Kind of. Every it's way. A continuation. August of 1968. This one is called Mayhem Over Manhattan. So, here we go. The four Avengers have been captured by the Masters of Evil and hauled into a giant ship that was sitting on top of Avengers Mansion like an angel on a Christmas tree. The guys are laid out on a slab covered in laser beams that promise to slice them in the ribbons if they sit up too quickly, and Wasp is jostling around in what looks like a pill bottle they found at the bottom of the collector's purse. <laughs> yeah, I snuck a collector <laughs> reference in there. <laughs> You didn't see that coming. I didn't. Radioactive Man, who appears to be the smart one, wonders why they're going through all this trouble instead of just offing the good guys and calling it a day. I mean, they're cruising across the Manhattan sky in a four-story high blue yacht that is in no way covert. They land in an abandoned lot, probably somewhere in the South Bronx, and the lot opens up to reveal an underground hangar. Who built that thing, and who paid for it? Never mind. Crimson Cal has plans. Big plans. Huge plans. But before he can get into those plans, Goliath remembers he can grow and bursts out of his shackles. Hank palms Claw's face and is about to start smashing things when he gets gassed by the Crimson Cow. Calling Claw a dolt and a simpleton, the cow turns his gun on his lackey. Well, Claw isn't having that. He blasts Crimson Cow with all the sonic power he can muster to no avail. The cow's cowl isn't even wrinkled. Claw immediately drops to his knees and apologizes and begs and grovels. For a second there, it was a nice change to see the villains fighting amongst themselves for once instead of our heroes. With that nonsense out of the way, the Crimson Cow lays out his plan. See, he's got this fancy new hydrogen bomb that he's going to shove the Avengers into, then hover it above the Empire State Building and use it as blackmail against someone to gain something. Okay, look, he doesn't have all the details yet, but at least the heavy lifting is done. So they jam all the superheroes into this metal box thing and give them some time to figure out how to escape. Meanwhile, using the ridiculous observation window in the side of the metal box, the Avengers are able to witness their once loyal butler now under some sort of hypnotic spell. Crimson Cal informs Jarvis that he's going to kill his friends, and then reveals himself as a crazy robot. In fact, that same robot from the confusing last issue 
But this time, he has a name. Ultron 5, the living automaton. You have to admit, this plan is moving along swimmingly. Ultron punches Jarvis in the skull and tells Melter to drag him up topside and dispose of him. When Jarvis tries to escape, Melter buries him under the melted rubble of a building and doesn't bother to make sure he's dead. Bad move, bad guy. Jarvis digs himself out and manages to remain conscious just long enough to drag himself back to the doors of Avengers Mansion, where Black Knight is loitering out front. Uh, Jarvis explains his treachery, and the medieval marauder is off to set things straight. He shoots a hole in the roof of the ship, how do you like that, villains? Then shoots another in the side of that bomb thing holding our heroes, and oh yeah, it's fight time. Once again, I will not bore you with the punch-by-punch -punch stuff. A few interesting things, though. Apparently the Melter has a human flesh setting on his gun now. Uh, Whirlwind escaped for no reason. And Ultron gets away, too, because he was hiding in a closet, still working out his blackmail demands. I imagine his crayon scrawled list included a heart, an oil can, and some Beats by Dre headphones out. I mean, what else could he have expected to get out of all this? Uh, to wrap things up, Black Knight convinces the team to give Jarvis another chance. Wasp sums up everyone's feelings perfectly when she says, You may have betrayed us, but then you risked your life for us. If that doesn't square accounts... We're not worthy of the name Avengers. Truer words were never spoken. The end. <laughs> right. Our roll call. Oh, God, it's the same four people again. Wasp, Goliath, Hawkeye, and Black Panther. I just put them in a different order every time, so it sounds exciting. Uh, the team also gets a big assist from Black Knight and, I suppose, Jarvis at the end, kind of. Uh, the villains this time are the Masters of Evil again, Melter, Whirlwind, Radioactive Man, Claw, and Crimson Cow, who is revealed to be Ultron 5. Um, we don't have a lot to say about Ultron at this point. This is his first appearance, but he, um, he'll become a huge deal in our podcast's future. We will mention him over and over again. I would like to know, though, exactly what happened to Ultron's 1 through 4. Is that detailed anywhere? We'll talk a little bit about it. Oh, okay. That's all I got. Uh, we should say, I don't think we actually said, that's probably obvious, this is Roy Thomas and John Buscema again. Sure. So, the, uh, at some point in time, one of the bad guys is talking about the captured Avengers... It says something, oh, he says, so much for our three Rover Boys in there. Yeah, what does that mean? The Rover, I'm glad you asked, because I didn't know either. I had to look it up. The Rover Boys, uh, also known as the Rover Boys series for young Americans, was a popular juvenile series, juvenile novel series, published by... <laughs> Sorry. Well, inside joke, I realized that I, I copied and pasted some of this from Wikipedia, and it says, clarification needed. <laughs> Clearly. Um, anyway, sorry. It's a popular juvenile series of... So it's like a Hardy Boys type of book. It's 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 considered one of the precursors to the Hardy Boys. Okay. It was <laughs> that out of the way. <laughs> it was published uh, from the years 1899 to 1926, so oh, it's wow. a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Edward Stratemeyer, the series was, under the pseudonym Arthur M. Winfield. Uh, apparently... Why? The books Why remained, did he need a pseudonym? <laughs> the books remained in print for a long time. I had never heard of them, and I read like crazy when I was a kid, including sure. the Hardy Boys. The uh, Crimson Claw... The who? The Crimson <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's wearing red, I, to be fair. I've just merged them into one character. <laughs> the Crimson Cowl uses a gas gun on Claw. I'm assuming it's the same gas gun he used on Jarvis last time. Me issue. too, but gas shouldn't affect Claw. He's a sonic creature. He doesn't breathe. He doesn't use the gas thing on Claw. He uses it on Goliath. Claw just happens to be there because he was... Because Goliath was holding his head. Well, no, but he threatens him with it. He said... Well, yeah, and Claw makes some comment at the bottom of the page there that when Goliath gets gassed, he's, that he's ducking out of the way to get the fresh air. But yeah, you're right. Why would yeah, he Yeah, because he says... The, the Crimson Cowl says, 
Once my lethally set gas gun discharges its deadly fumes at you. And that's when the Claw starts begging for his life. And it's like, why are you begging, Claw? It's a gas gun. Is he pure sound at this point? I thought he was. He, he certainly might, doesn't look human. He might not be. I, I know at some point he actually, his whole form is stored inside that gun that he has on his hand. Yeah, I, I really thought he was pure sound. That was the whole point. But maybe not. Maybe he's able to switch back and forth at this point. I don't know. There's one point in time when the Avengers are fighting the Hawkeye says to the Black Panther, you're you're not just whistling a Zulu war chant. Seems a little that, racist. Well, it would have been more racist to say whistling Dixie. I don't know. <laughs> to the black guy. So you mentioned about Ultron, and, and as you keep calling him, and you are correct, he is Ultron 5. Well, he called himself that. He I would just call him Ultron. Yeah. He calls himself Ultron 5, and this is we, we lose track at some point, because I, what are we up yes. to now, Ultron 19 or something? I think, well, and, and during the one storyline, he rebuilt, he built so many of those, like Ultron 420 and Ultron. And so then I think that, he stops and calls himself Ultron Prime. Or, yeah. yeah. But, but for a long time with Ultron, and we'll see it more and more, the number, his numbering was important. We don't, as you point out, learn anything about his origin, but I think we will within the next 10 to 12 issues. I think we learn more about where Ultron comes from, and we'll learn why he's Ultron 5. I like Ultron. I would like to see the. Do they show you Ultrons 1 through 4? Because I would think they'd be hilarious. Ultron 1 is hilarious. It's like the first Macintosh computer, just like a square sitting on a desk. (laughs) If I remember correctly, it's like this giant oval head, like almost all just this giant, weirdly shaped head with this, like, itty bitty tiny arms. (laughs) Ultron 2 is like a smaller version on a set of wheels with like a cord dragging behind him. Hawkeye. When does Ultron Watch come out? When when Hawkeye manages to free himself, he attacks with a jury rigged bow and arrow. Yeah, that looks like it really hurts. Well, I'm not sure that it could work. He Basically, what he does is take a hunk of wire and hooks it up to a crowbar and shoots a piston out of it. Yeah. Okay, so... And he's not going to get the tension from the wire. Well, a bow and arrow, the the, the, the bow part bends. It flexes, yeah. And crowbars don't normally bend. Not enough, you would think. I don't think that that... I don't think he could do that. But if he could get any kind of bend out of it, it would probably have a lot of power behind it. I'm assuming you get hit in the face with a piston, it's probably going to hurt. I actually like the fact that Whirlwind escapes again, and again, they don't catch him, they don't know who he is, he is still, he still has his cover identity as the Wasp's, um, as the Wasp's, uh, chauffeur. Right. Which Did he mention that in this issue or last issue in a thought balloon? He said something about it, and they don't know that I'm also the chauffeur. Probably last issue, because I don't remember at this issue, but I, I think it's kind of cool that he keeps... I like that he escapes and Black Panther's like, oh, he escaped. Because they always have to tell us what happened, even though we just saw it. I think Jarvis gets off pretty easy. Ugh, ridiculous. I mean, despite the fact that he wasn't the Crimson Cowl, he did still betray the team yep. and sell their security plans to people that wanted them dead. Sure. And for him to say, well, if he... That would get him a good 14 years at Guantanamo. I mean, all he does, they're like, he risked his life for us. Well, not really. He escaped from other people that wanted to kill him. Right. He saved his own life. <laughs> and then found the Black Knight and said, I think you can find them at, like, 4th and Vine. He, I mean... He basically saved his own life, stumbled back to the place where his car keys probably were, <laughs> so he could get and go home. I mean, I like Jarvis. I'm not saying I want to see him in Guantanamo, but the <laughs> Avengers are a little bit too trusting, I think, at the end of this of Well, this I issue. think we know that as a fact for every issue. The Avengers let anyone in. And that's it. I got. I have no other notes on this issue. It was, uh, it was entertaining, but there wasn't a lot to it. It was a lot of fight scene. So, moving to bullpen bulletins, I, I have bad news for you, Jason. Oh no, is there, is there another ranking of Marveldom? No, but your favorite Marvel employee, uh, we find out, is leaving the company. Bill Mantlo? Flo Steinberg. Ah, oh, Flo. Stan's secretary, Flo, leaves the company. We also, they, oh, I'm sorry, Stan Soapbox mentions that Herb Trimp is their newest penciler. He had been inking for them and he's now penciling for them. 
and will be joining the Phantom Eagle in Marvel Superheroes. Herb Trip is one of my least favorite pencilers in the entire world. I'm sorry, the who and the what? Uh, the Phantom <laughs> Eagle is surprisingly uh, a, a strip that didn't catch on. I don't know why. It's about the ghost of a World War One flying ace. Hmm. I don't know why that's not uh, a new Marvel. Well, that may be a, a new Marvel. And it was in movie. the book what Marvel Superheroes was that one of those anthology series? Hulk was in that for a while, I think. Yeah, so and that's where Captain Marvel first appeared. Mm, okay, that's it. Then we go letters. You got any letters? Uh, the first two letters discuss Goliath's costume colors, which is rather pedantic. Uh, Len Olson of Oak Park, Illinois, wants the Avengers to have their own island and their own branded equipment. Like, I guess... Avengers robes in their rooms. <laughs> Avengers jewelry. I, yeah, I don't understand the. Well, this I, is good thoughts, I guess. I guess I, he wants them to look like a team. Like when someone sees them coming, oh hey, that's the Avengers. As far as being headquartered on an island, you know that will come to pass. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit forward thinking. Lee Gray, the first one you mentioned from Detroit, Michigan, also says, "Don't take." It. He's the one that says, "Don't take the black out of the Panther's name just because he's a Negro." And that's when they finally say, "Look, we tried to drop the black from Black Panther, and it didn't work, so he's." Black Panther again, and look, we know you hate his costume, so it's back to full face mask. <laughs> and we lost those weird white highlights that were in there. And um, there's a letter in here that you're probably very familiar with. It's the second one from Paul M. Washburn of Portland, Oregon. Paul M. Washburn being another one of uh, your pseudonyms, as this person asks for less of Dr. Pym and more of Hawkeye. Oh, that's so, totally me. Obviously, in 1968, you wrote this. <laughs> I was negative three years old. <laughs> And I have been in Portland once, though. And living in Portland. I had nothing else. I will say, overall, the letters were pretty positive. People seem to like Black Panther, and they actually seem to like Grim Reaper as well. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. It, it wasn't quite as... It wasn't constantly going, why don't you take that person off the team and put this person on, and you should kill that guy and bring this one, and Aunt May should be the new butler. And, uh, That'd be great. MVP. My MVP is the Black Knight. If it wasn't for him, they would probably all be dead. My MVP is Hawkeye for making a bow that defies the laws of physics. <laughs> Useless character? Wasp. Boom. Four in a row. Did she even... And mine too. <laughs> well, did she, she did four in a row. Yeah. That's crazy. Did she even join in the fight against the Master? I don't remember her doing anything. I don't think she does. Did they let? Well, yeah, they let her out of the jar when they got inside that bomb thingy. That plan made no sense. <laughs> no, it really didn't. Is this an Avengers level threat? Uh, yeah, it was last issue. Might as well. Uh, the only thing that they don't have fighting on their side is Black Knight or Jarvis. I guess. Yeah, surprisingly, the Jar- Jarvis not fighting for the Masters of Evil did not uh, <laughs> didn't really power. change anything. Yeah. What about, um, great? I gave this one a B, only because the plan was really dumb. But at least we got to know who Ultron was, which is cool. I gave it a C plus. I was a little harsher on this one, and it's, and, and again, as Jason knows, I read this, <laughs> I was feeling horribly when I read this issue. So. Yeah, I think we both struggled through this one. Um, it, it may not be the issue's fault, but my biggest problem with this was the, was the villains. They, Ultron is so verbose and wordy and, and shouty in this issue, and I didn't like like it. I, w- I got really tired of him. See, I think the thing that saved me is that I just skipped over all the stuff he was saying. <laughs> Why didn't I think about it? I just didn't understand the plan, and obviously I detailed that in my synopsis. What was he trying to prove? He never got to the point where he was actually going to say what he was going to demand in order to not drop this bomb on top of the Empire State Building that was holding the Avengers inside it. That is a really good point. What was he trying to prove? And then he just left. He even mentioned when he was in the other little closet looking out through the window that he was hiding himself away in there so he could broadcast his demands over the airwaves or whatever, and it didn't happen. Maybe we'll find out what he wanted some other day. Maybe we will, and maybe we won't. I'm hoping for the latter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's episode 26 in a nutshell. What that's is this episode in a nutshell? I don't know, but... Episode 26. We've gone through six months of this podcast. Yes. Crazy. 
It is a little crazy. Who would have thought? And we're we're only in the late sixties. <laughs> I feel much older than that. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it will it we, it will move along. Next next episode, we get to talk about the second annual. And you know why I'm excited about the second annual? <laughs> because I have to do it. Because I don't have to recap it. <laughs> I was just checking to see uh, if it was as long as uh, the last one. And and now I'm looking at it, and I see it was also drawn by Don Heck. Mmm, great. Well, at least we won't have any fingers in people's faces. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so that's next time. We'll look forward to that. I'm actually flipping through the next that's annual. It's actually looking like it might be kind of fun. Thor's back. That's cool. Oh, there's Hulk. Oh, God. <laughs> Spoke too soon. Ah. So, it's the Avenging Hour. Where could... What if I wanted... Jason, what if I wanted to contact the Avenging Hour? How could I do that? Well, here's... My favorite podcast. Here's what you need to do. You need to walk out of your house. You need to get in a car. You need to drive three blocks down the street. There's an ice cream parlor on the corner. You need to go in there. You need to ask for a woman named Betty. There won't be a woman named Betty there, but they'll know what you want. And then they will open up a computer... And the email thing will be right there. It's amazing. It's so really? simple. Anyone can do it. All right, Jason, I live in the middle of the <laughs> desert, and there is no ice cream. Parlor. There is. You just don't know it. You haven't been out the house in three blocks down. Uh, you, can, you can email us, uh, mail at avenginghour.com. You can go to our website, avenginghour.com, where you can see all of these episodes, and um, you can see our Twitter handle there, which is at avenginghour, and our Instagram handle, which is at avenginghour. We put up funny pictures, I think, and make funny comments about those pictures. You can get on iTunes and give us some reviews and push us up the ladder there so we can get some recognition from from Apple corporate and then we can get jobs and we can stop doing this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I don't no, know that no, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm quite happy with what I'm doing. We don't get paid for this. We're doing it for your pleasure, not our own because we hate the Avengers. This is not a poorly no. kept secret. No. No, we love the Avengers. <laughs> you want me to talk more. <laughs> we love the Avengers. We just don't love the 1960s Avengers. Ah, yes, that's true. I'm just making stuff up. But we need these issues to lay the groundwork for the Avengers that we love. If this didn't exist, there would be no Roger Stern run. I wonder if when we get up to those uh, issues if we will remember any of Oh, I will remember. You have a much better memory for this history type stuff than I do. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember specific moments and hilarious costumes and things I like that. I wish I could forget some of these issues. <laughs> I've often said that you're the uh, you're the play-by-play guy and I'm the color commentary because I just try and make fun of the collector as often as possible. <laughs> and you should keep doing that. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. We okay. will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.